Hello and welcome to the RegTech Legends podcast. I am your host, Tom Richardson, and we are going to be bringing you the latest breaking news, insight, and interviews with leaders and subject matter experts from the world of RegTech. Today, for your listening pleasure, I will be sitting down with Mr. Sean Norris, Executive Vice President, EMEA and APAC for Acuity and Furcosoft, Relix Companies. I have had the pleasure of working with Sean or, uh, as a colleague on two separate occasions, and I've always been a fan of the way he goes about his business. He's certainly been doing some great work at Acuity, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about that and some of the lessons that he's learned along the way. But before we get into that, I ask Sean how he ended up working in RegTech in the first place. So I'm a Zimbabwean. Um, I, I left school when I was uh, 16. I wasn't, didn't pass my O-levels, I don't think. My mum was not too happy about it. Um, and they, uh, I joined the tobacco industry. So Zimbabwe at the time was the third largest uh, tobacco growing nation on earth. Oh, really? Uh, was known for its quality. Mm. And it wasn't an unusual path for someone to go and join these large American companies in Zimbabwe and have a, a career for life. And many of my friends have traveled the world and still do that today. But then something happened. We had a uh, hyperinflation, so we were we had hundred trillion dollar notes, and and, and yeah. things deteriorated quite quickly. Um, I luckily had the path to get an ancestral visa to come to the UK, and on the twenty second of July, two thousand and two, I, I landed in England. Um, I landed at Gatwick, got to Dollars Hill, ran out of money, had to borrow from my brother, um, and then started working in pubs and taking another normal path for people who who landed up yep. in, in the UK. Um, so I worked in pubs for a while, and then I saw this advertisement. Um, when I was working in Goode Street, there's an advertisement that said, marketing executive, no experience required. <laughs> and I thought, that's got my name written all over it. It gets better. Um, so I went and joined a, a basically pyramid selling scheme, where yeah. I was uh, standing in Sainsbury selling credit cards and getting, getting this is my first, first First inroads into sales, yep. selling credit cards and sales for three pounds a credit card. Um, you weren't given a base salary and you survived on selling credit cards. And I did that for about five months. But what that did give me was something on my CV to say that I'd sold. Yeah. Um, then the next job I got was with the listing company in Richmond where um, I was able to sell O2 corporate contracts uh-huh. um, over the phone, cold calling. Uh, did that for about a year. And again, didn't realize it then, but again, I'd built up some more experience that I can do some cold calling. Um, and then a, a company called Initiate, which is a recruitment company. I went there looking for a job and they offered me a job to become a recruitment consultant. And that's really, I think, where things get interesting for me because uh, we were given- Because that's where we met. That's where we met as well. <laughs> that's where we met. We met at Initiate. Great place, Initiate. Yeah. Um, but that was where I really became, I think, commercially aware, yeah. best way to describe it. And um, I was given business information, didn't even know what it meant. Business information is your vertical, go and build it. Here's a phone book, oh, not a phone book, here's the internet, here's a phone, crack on. And um, quickly started recruiting for companies like Complanet, Bureau Van Dyke, yeah. and uh, LexisNexis, and uh, was hiring salespeople for them. And uh, thought, what a cool industry, I enjoyed the industry, 
Um, and I was really searching for people that I'm in the role now to, to try and get business. I did that for about a, just shy of a year and um, went and worked for one of my customers, uh, Thompson. And then you gave me a call and said, hey, Sean, <laughs> there's this great company called Acuity. Wow. Um, do you want to consider working for them? And you know, I joined Acuity in 2007 on the 6th of July. Thank yeah. you, Tom. Thank you, Tom, for the job. <laughs> um, and I really haven't looked back since then. Yeah. But, but it's amazing just to think about, you know, that selling credit cards gave me some experience. O2 gave me some experience. And then that commercial awareness follows. And, uh, and that's why I, I joined Acuity. Now, I know that the journey you've been on with Acuity has taken you all around the world. Talk to us, please, a little bit more about that. What have you been doing for Acuity over that time? Sure. So, joined Acuity as a business development executive, um, selling um, online solutions here in the UK. And, um, and this, is, this is really interesting where the universe connects you again. You know, someone that really looked after me in those days was Joel Lang, who's now the MD at, at C6. Yeah. And uh, he was a great example to me and, uh, and still a dear friend today. But the way that Joel helped me be successful in that, those first few months, um, I won't forget. Um, and then it, the, where the sort of traveling starts is um, Joel was moving on to, to something else. And uh, they said, we have some customers in India and South Africa who wants them and I stuck up my hand and I said I'll take them and I remember Joel and I landing in India to do a handover and, I, and it was very exciting um, and um, so still the sales role now traveling to India a lot and I would say to to the MD at the time can I stop in Dubai on the way to to India so I can try and sell some more and then what ended up happening is I had no customers or accounts left in England, but I was living in England. <laughs> and I turned around to, to the CEO at the time, uh, Hugh. I said, Hugh, I have no more customers here. Would you consider me living in Dubai? Uh, at the time, Hugh was owned by a venture capitalist group uh, called Investcorp. And he said, sure, Sean, but we don't have those big secondment, nice shiny packages people get. I said, that's okay, Hugh. And, um, and uh, you know, Robin and I, my wife and I, we found ourselves all of a sudden living in Dubai, um, which really was probably one of the best decisions I've made, uh, just taking that, that, that chance. Yeah. Um, I know that you, you kind of think very fondly of your time in the desert, as you always used to, to phrase it. Um, why did you enjoy it so much? Um, why did I enjoy the desert so much? Um, it was a big opportunity for me to learn. I was on my own out there. Um, it really was uh, pure business development. We had a handful of customers at the time. And um, it was just a lot of fun flying into Kuwait, flying into Bahrain, traveling up and down Sheikh Zayed Road to Abu Dhabi and back, um, and, and building, building some brand awareness making those first really important sales. Yeah. Um, but at the end of two years, it got a bit lonely. So I was on my own. And um, Acuity had said, look, we'll, we'll help you build a team out here. And you've been out here for two years. You've done the hard yards. You've brought some logos on. And um, so I was, I was going to become a manager. It was fantastic. And I was going to live in the, in the desert and everything was going to be great. And then uh, we got acquired by, by, by Reed Elsevier, uh, Reed Business Information. And, we were now all of a sudden on a different path. 
And um, my world changed overnight when I got a phone call and said, Sean, will you move to Singapore um, to help us manage the South Asia group? So India, Pakistan, yeah. Bangladesh. So I didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> Obviously, I'd been traveling to India a lot and um, had to sleep on that. When so it, so it, was two, it was two years in, uh, in two Dubai years in at Dubai. that point. Two years it felt like longer. It felt like longer when... I've been gone for eight years, all one big blur. But no, it was yeah. two, years, two years in Dubai. And so, so you got the call about Singapore? Got the call. Sean, we went to go to Singapore, and I was like, okay, let me go speak to Rob's. Rob's, <laughs> Rob's what do you think about and Singapore? That, just out of interest, how does a call like that work? Is it, is it, Sean, you know, we've got this idea, do you want to take a look at it? Or is it, this is the plan that we've got for you, we kind of expect you to take it? No, it's, there was no expectation. Um, I wanted to, I'd been asking uh, my leadership team that I wanted to move into leadership. I was pretty yeah. clear on that. And if you go, if you dial, dial it back to that basic um, motivation, that was an option. And, and the way that Acuity and, and Bankers Almond at the time benefited from that was they needed somebody with Acuity experience in, in a fairly big growing hub in Singapore yeah. to, help, to help with some of the knowledge sharing so I think if that was their main driver. Um, I got the leadership experience, um, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a uh, you will. It was a, it was a question. Yeah. And um, it appealed to me as as it does. And uh, six weeks later, seven weeks later, I was living. Well, I'd moved to Singapore, um, and Rob's we're doing a bit of back and forth. But first of Jan, I was in I was in Singapore. Never nice. forget it. And so what year would that be when you arrived in Singapore? I arrived in Singapore in 2012. So that's pretty good timing too, right? Because things have been going gangbusters in that part of the world since then. The, yes, in terms of timing, it, it, it was uh, it was good timing. I think at the time, um, Acuity, we sort of blend the two brands together because what happened overnight is Acuity had a handful of customers um, in Asia. Bankers Almanac had thousands of customers. Yeah. And so the synergy, it's, uh, you know, you talk about one plus one equaling three. In this case, one plus one equal five. Um, and it really was uh, amazing to watch um, the, the sales teams, um, which was predominantly a sales office at the time, you know, really having really different conversations about solutions versus subscriptions literally overnight. And that was, that was a fun thing to watch. Mm. So, so that was one of your, your, your your jobs there was actually transforming the sales team into more of a solution-led sales team? No, my my job there was to bring a bit of the acuity experience in the beginning. Uh, so my job was to to manage South Asia and I had a sales team, so I was learning. I was a manager for the first time. I managed to negotiate them to add Australia to my, my, <laughs> my uh, territory, which means I was looking after all the cricketing nations in Asia, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, and so for me at the time, it was really focusing on you know, what is this you know, management? What does that mean and how do you grow a territory? Um, but then some of those other benefits is I was sitting on the floor helping people, um, you know, with what is a compliance screening tool, what does PEP mean, what is what are sanctions, how are they updated and help some of that knowledge be transferred a lot faster. Um, so it was a lot of fun. We were a small group back then. Uh, there was about 15 of us in total in APAC, um, which over time grew. Uh, and regular um, Singapore now is is kind of known as a bit of an early adopter of uh, new ideas and solutions, right? They, they have a regulator who is very 
open to some of these ideas, a very friendly regulator. Um, what's your perception of, of kind of the direction of travel for that market? Um, the, so the market's really interesting. You've got three really strong regulators, MAS, HKMA, and, and the Australian DFAT. Um, they're the strongest. And then behind them, you've got um, others that are catching up and aren't as strong. Um, but willing to make examples of bad behavior. And one of those is India. Um, where is the market heading? I think the rest of Southeast Asia has got a lot of catching up to do. Um, North Asia, um, we've also got a lot of catching up to do. Okay, Sean, so you arrived in Singapore, and I know that you consider this a very kind of significant part of your kind of learning um, and development. Um, Maybe talk to us a little bit about some of the successes, the challenges, and some of the things that you've learned during the course of that, that role. Sure, I think when we, when we got to, to Singapore, um, there were 15 of us there. I was, I was a manager for one of the teams. And that was the first management role, is that right? First leadership role, um, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, a tremendous amount of fun. And something I'm really proud of 10 years later is, you know, India is a territory I started on. And you can trace back the five people that have worked on that territory and they're still within the business. Nice. Um, so we passed that baton on. Um, so, so it was a great starting point in, for leadership. But what quickly happened is um, I got uh, promoted into the sales director role. Um, so I was managing the, the region for sales. And that's where learning happened really fast because the way that you set yourself up to sell in Japan is different to China, is different to Hong Kong, is different to Southeast Asia, is different to India. Um, and not one single strategy or leadership style that is not going to work. Yeah. There's some, some really lovely core basics um, and I think Acuity has been very successful with, which is just being consistent in the way we deliver um, that message. Um, and it doesn't matter where I go in this world, um, I sit down in front of people and they've got the same problems. Um, it's just about how do you manage that with slightly different cultures. And that was a really fun puzzle to put together um, in the time I was in Singapore. So how many separate offices did you, or locations, did you end up having to, to kind of build teams in? So the, um, we started off with Shanghai and Singapore. Uh, Shanghai, we put a small sales team out there. Um, and then by the time we'd left, we'd opened up in Tokyo, uh, Melbourne, Hong Kong and Mumbai, right. and um, that was really fun to open up those which, which of those was the toughest nut to crack? The toughest nut to crack? I think the furthest, the furthest away you are from a regional office, the harder it gets. I remember being in Singapore when we were just a satellite office from, from the UK, and it sometimes feels like you're in space screaming for help <laughs> and no one can hear you. And, and I do think that the further away you get from a base, um, it gets harder. And, and also to really appreciate the cultural um, heartbeat of a place. I mean, Japan is, is a place where you need to think um, very differently if you're going to be successful. Uh, you have to be patient. Um, and you know, taking a uh, sort of Western approach out there is probably a very short approach. Um, and I think that's one of the most fascinating places. And I think that's. That's a place where um, you know you need a ten-year plan. It can't yeah. be a two-year plan. 
if you want to really make this organization great. So Japan was, uh, was, was would you say that, that was the toughest one to get your head around? Yeah, learning, yes, for sure, for sure, definitely for learning. Um, it's also one of the most fun places to, to go and have meetings and, uh, and, and, and build a business. So you alluded to the idea that there are some big cultural differences um, and that affects uh, in the region and, and that affects how you do business there. Can you kind of give um, the people listening some specific examples of that? Um, there might be people out there that are going to be on that journey themselves soon who would benefit from, uh, from your wisdom. Well, um, just some examples. I mean, some of my favorite stories I can, I can share is... Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you go to Tokyo, and, and I'll never forget sitting there in my first meetings. And uh, the meeting definitely started on time, and it finished on time for a start. As the elevators close, someone bows us. Literally, the, the meeting is finished on the hour. And and in that meeting, it, the pauses between answering questions can be sixty seconds. So in a meeting, right. you you may only achieve twenty minutes of speaking to thirty minutes. Fascinating, uh, really fascinating. And, and this is because what they're considering what's just been said. Yeah, just considerate um, thoughtfulness, um, respect is you know, is really yeah. big important value. Where you sit in the meeting room is denotes your seniority, and um, really quickly learn that um, very different, <laughs> um, and and a, and a really really cool experience. Um, and then you know on the, on the other side, some really fun stories are you know when you go to Mumbai. Uh, you get to the bank on time and, and the person that you're meeting is in traffic because traffic is so bad there. Uh, it used to be before the bridge that they built across the, uh, the harbour there. And, um, and then the meeting starts uh, and then it probably stops three times while you're being offered tea. So hospitality is really important. Yeah. Talking about things about your family are very important. You walk out of there, you've achieved the same thing, but it took maybe two and a half hours. <laughs> um, so can't have anything more different but achieving the same thing and saving the soul yeah problems at the root cause there you go and that was a lot of fun nice but the call came in again i imagine at some point was this a call in from you we need you back uh the in london yeah so what had happened? that come about maybe that's a better question sure so what was really cool about singapore and, and that asia experience is we we joined there as a sales office yeah and um, over the six years I was there, it was really um, rewarding to actually see that, that sales office grow into a regional office where the importance of building you know, professional services, support, uh, marketing um, was just as important as sales to service our customers and have a sustainable model. Um, so done that and um, We've been running in that mode for about two years and I put my hand up and I said, look, I'd really like to do something else um, when, whenever you're ready, but I'm quite keen to, 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 to make a change. And like we all do, we want to keep on learning and, and yeah, growing. Yeah. And um, then the call came in and said, look, Sean, there's an opportunity to head up um, EMEA and APAC sales organization, Jeremy Bowen, uh, moved, moved on to Syrian, one of our, our, our sister brands. and." Um, you know, again, said yes. Um, what a wonderful opportunity, and and I've been learning ever since. Uh, <laughs> had to convince Robin to move back to London because you know. Singapore, Did she enjoy it in Singapore? Uh, Singapore's lovely, and if if you know, Singapore is um, a, a, a wonderful city. Uh, the weather's beautiful. Um, 
we we'd built a nice community of friends around us and um, yeah when we left the UK we were sort of in our late 20s just sort of figuring things out here um, and uh, we'd been enjoying the sunshine for eight years so to convince Rob's time to, to go back, back to sunny London and, and do you know what we landed here and we had the best summer ever I was walking around <laughs> I was walking around the office going I don't know what you guys complain about the weather's <laughs> lovely here and they said Sean wait winter's coming but no we moved back in uh, yeah literally the 17th of April which is almost the day today my goodness almost a year ago today a year ago today we moved back to England and uh, the next chapter of the, the Norris has began very good so what were you brought over here to do um, ultimately, continue building on um, the the platform that Jez had built uh, for for five six years. Uh, really, just to take that and keep building on top of that. So, same mantra: being closer to our customers, um, keep the sales organisation being as successful as it has been. And um, so, that's my role. That's what I'm doing today. And you have, uh, I've always. Um, noted you have your own particular brand and style of both selling and managing people which I like a lot and I know has been received very well by by the people that work with you um, can you give us kind of an idea of your philosophy if you like in that area so, um, so, so I suppose identifying talent managing people uh, developing talent what are your thoughts around that? I think the biggest kick I've always got, always, if you go back to what I love doing, and it is developing people and watching them grow and be successful, and um, it's definitely the most rewarding part. If you think about the journey I've been on at Acuity, uh, I've seen many, many people come to the doors with their first sort of target, um, going into new countries, and, and to watch a person get on a plane for the first time to go and sell in a new territory for the first time, not have all the answers, but to have the courage to do that um, is, can't tell you how rewarding that is. Yeah. And then to see them go on and be successful. Um, some of them go on to leadership, leadership tracks, some go into sort of specialist tracks. doesn't matter what track they go, um, but to see that, you know, that, that's why I get up every day. The money will follow. Uh, never, you know, money is important, and, but it's not the yeah. most important thing. Actually, that's another thing. I, I've always noticed you've always kind of held that philosophy, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you've done pretty well out of it, right? But but you've you've never really seemed to be focused on the money, um, even when working as a straight salesperson. It was always about, you know, am I learning? Am I moving forwards? Am I being successful? Uh, but not necessarily relating that down to, you know, what does my paycheck say? The the, the really seen it and, and been there I mean if, if we go to Asia just back there for two years in a row we got to 96 and 95 percent of our new business target if you looked at the overall budget we grown by 15 to 20 percent um, but we still missed the number by three percent and five percent and that was that was uh, hard I guess because I know how hard we'd worked but the infrastructure, the, the way we got there um, was more important. Um, and it hasn't always been, um, you know, lots of big paychecks, but that's definitely not the most rewarding thing for me. Yeah. Developing people. Developing people, Tom. Very nice. And the, mon the money follows, the money, sh the money yeah. follows. It often does, doesn't it? If you're, the, if you're very good at what you do, the money always follows. 
Um, and developing people is, you know, that, that idea of personal development as well is something that I know uh, is important to you because in your time in Singapore, I know you, you, you kind of um, actually embarked on some separate qualifications yourself. And, and I also know that you got into triathlon while you're over there as well, which I'm good, not going to like came as a bit of a surprise to me. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, what, so what did you do? Um, what was your thinking behind it? So, so I'm sitting around um, in Singapore and I'm surrounded by some very, very smart people. And I think a ghost that always haunted me was I left school when I was 16. And did I ever feel that I was maybe inadequate or I was missing something? The truth is probably yes. Um, I was writing recommendations for people and references and being references for some of the greatest MBA programs in, in APAC, NCAD has been one of them. And you know, I've also always been encouraged by, by some people that I look up to, like you and, and other people in the industry to say, look, you, know, you should look at that, you should do that. And um, I had the space to do an MBA. Um, and uh, probably one of the best things I've done, not from a, just learning, uh, learning for the sake of learning, but just that entire experience, the friends you make, the things you learn, the appreciation you have for other functions in a business, um, definitely rewarding. Triathlon part is really to prove to myself that I can run 50 kilometers or do a <laughs> do an Ironman. Um, <clears throat> do you think that, because uh, a lot is said about um, the carryover from sort of sports and uh, a focus on the right mindset in sports to, to work and especially selling, for example, do you think that there's anything in that? Do you think people that can kind of apply that that singular focus on a on a uh, specific outcome in sport uh, are naturally better able to do that in work, or do you do you do you not put much stock in that? As someone who kind of looks at it from both sides, I mean, I, as a recruiter, I can remember being a recruiter and working for some people who really love people who play yeah. team sports oh and my God, yeah. being successful in that. But if I, if I really look at the characters and the diversity of people that I've seen being successful, no, it, I don't think sport, sport is, it's great to be a great sports person or, or have a passion, but it is the intrinsic values that somebody has that are the, the true motivator. You know, I love people that are using their career to get them to do something that they really want because that's real, that you can work with and, and, and you can suffer hard times as long as that goal is clear. And that's not always clear for everybody. Um, but I think the people who I've seen, the characters I've seen grow and the fastest have been the ones that actually have got a pretty cool core intrinsic motivation and, and some good values in there. Um, this might be a difficult one to answer. Go for it. How do you, how do you try and identify what someone's core values are so you say you're interviewing you do a lot of hiring I know so you're sitting down with um, let's just say a you know a, a, a relatively young salesperson what questions are you asking or what are you what are you doing to ascertain what their core values are so I think we, we we've just sort of designed a process where we, we try and get to the heart of some of the values we have so you know, humility um, accountability teamwork all those lovely buzzwords but but they are meaningful um, a question that I ask because usually 
you know, there's been a few interviews by the time it gets to me. <coughs> I only get one chance. Um, and I'll you ask somebody. It's not about animals. I ask people this, if they were, if, if money was an objective and what would they really, really want to do with their lives? What would they be doing instead of sitting here interviewing for this job? And I've had some cracking answers. And the people that we've hired off the back of those have been some amazing characters. I mean, one person said he wanted to open up a, that was called a, it's like a, a opposite of an aquarium where you have reptiles and scorpions and things like that. Right. Tyranitarium? <laughs> something like sure. that. But you know, when I found out that That's he had, he had like 600 scorpions, 2,000 tarantulas and thousands of cockroaches to feed these animals, I thought, this is an interesting person and this person has just answered me honestly. Given a real answer. I yeah. mean, we, we, there was a person the other day um, who really wants to open up Belgian waffle shops and homeopathy studios. <laughs> I, I interviewed, a, I interviewed a, a person from China who was in Japan and he wanted to be a humanitarian lawyer. You don't get more real than that. Wow, that is, yeah, really specific as well. But those are the types of things where you can at least, because interviews are, is a process, so that's where you can get, get to the heart of somebody. You can yeah. always tell when someone's answered, like, I want to be a race car driver or I want to be a, you know, you can, you can spot um, some of the I, stock answers. Yeah, I think there's, that's really the, the interesting um, an interesting line of questions and I always like to follow that up with why yeah. you know why do you feel that way because because when you go deep enough on that I think you start often actually hearing about stories from their past um, people often start talking about the values of their parents yeah. and and I think that's really telling yeah. that's great out of interest so having done this again around the world you know is there a difference in interviewing in Tokyo versus um, you know the UK or Dubai, for example. I, I would say that face-to-face uh, -face is, is always better, um, definitely, and that's something I've had to learn while there's sort of managers and directors and um, is face-to-face um, -face is, is, is always better. But no, the interview process is very similar. Sometimes people who's, whose language is not English natively will be very nervous um, in those interviews because they've got to speak English, and sometimes you need to be a bit more patient yeah. with them and try and make them feel comfortable. And uh, that, that's really the only major difference there. I mean, the person that we, we that uh, from China um, that we hired, I knew within about five minutes that this was a great person. Um, it's a, it's interviewing is interviewing and feelings are feelings and <laughs> talent spotting is talent spotting. Yes. And sometimes you make mistakes, we all do, but uh, sometimes you get it right. Very good. Sure, I really want to dig down into, because um, I think you have a, a, a unique approach, but I don't necessarily fully understand why. I, I sense it, but I don't know the details. So I really want to drill down into how do you work with your sales guys on a, on a you know, daily, weekly, monthly basis? What's the underlying theme or philosophy that you're, that you're kind of working to with those guys? Um, not, not talking about you know how your weekly one to ones and KPIs and stuff, but what's the underlying philosophy? Uh, I've always looked at um, sales as project management. So you come into a role, brand new business development manager. What is your project? Your project is going to develop a new new territory that no one's ever touched before. Go find some customers um, and hit your number. That's your that's your project, and I've 
you're an account manager and you inherit uh, a sector or a geography, your project is to to go and obviously hit the number, but it's to nurture that territory, grow that territory, be part of that community, and then be done with it in two years, because you don't want to do that forever. No one wants to do the same thing forever, and pass that on in a better state than you received it to the next person, so that you can go on and hopefully do something even more challenging, where you're going to learn and grow, and take on a bigger challenge, challenging territory with, with, with more, with more uh, responsibility. Um, even, even the role I'm in today, Tom, I, I look at a, a project. My project is to make this um, better than, the, than, than I received it and pass this on to someone to make it better than me um, so that I can go on and do something even more challenging and, <laughs> and different. Because I think that for me is intrinsically um, the way I look at it. So it's a, that is an interesting um, distinction, isn't it? Because it's a, it's a bit like a variation on the idea of uh, a salesperson, for example, uh, looking at their territory as as like building a desk or owning a business, right? It's a subtle shift in the language that you're using away from sales. I think because of the when you're selling solutions and you have diverse range of products, you have to be part of that community. You have to be part of the community. And um, to nurture it and grow it, you need to use like a project because there's more responsibility than just hitting the number. number. Number is there, but if you do all the other stuff in between, you should be successful. The numbers also and, and it's also about making it <coughs> better. Don't leave a, don't, don't scorch the earth and think yeah. that, that it's a successful project because I think Hit that's- Hit your number, uh, destroy, <laughs> yeah. create chaos and then leave. Uh, and, that's a short-term strategy, and, and you know I think if you look at Netflix, they got a, a, a I don't know why I'm talking about this, but they got a value which is no brilliant jokes. Yeah, and I think if we base as a leadership team, we base everything based on, on our values and principles. So you can be the best salesperson in here, but if you're leaving scorched earth or hurting other parts yeah. of the business, you're not managing your project really well. That's, how much of that philosophy do you think is shaped by the fact that you've been with Acuity for a long time? it's obviously a more sustainable way of working possibly uh, but you're working working through the the different roles here at acuity and having the opportunity to, to try probably has shaped that view also then we've had consistency you know hugh's been our ceo mm. uh, he's now ceo of the of, the <coughs> of, of a few businesses now but we've been very consistent and um consistent in the way we speak to our customers consistent in the solutions we provide we haven't gone too far off the core, um, which is screening and data um, and KYC, possibly Tom. I think it's been shaped by by Acuity for sure, um, and a lot of the people that I joined with in two thousand and seven, many of them are still here. Yeah, many many of them are still here, and um, we've all been doing different projects and growing through the process. So, pretty like really grateful. For that journey so my job is really pass that back um, we all have our moments our wobbles where we you know life is not good we're having a hard time we start looking for other jobs it's, that's normal um, but it's having those mentors to sort of guide you through those hard moments um, where I think we've been very lucky or I've been very lucky nice Sean, you mentioned that a lot of the people that you actually joined with um, all those years ago, 12 years ago, are still with the business. But of course, 
not all of them are and you must come up uh, across them or indeed against them in the industry? Um, it's a very small world and um, the only th advice I would give is treat people in this sector, in this industry um, with respect in how you manage them, how you work with them, if, how you treat them if they decide to leave because it's a funny old world and some of these companies uh, that are uh, in sort of accelerated growth modes, you might end up working for them <laughs> no matter what your position is today. So have the humility uh, to realize that quite quickly yeah. um, and, and treat those people with respect. So it's always, it's always good to be in a competitive landscape. It keeps us honest for our customers. Yeah. And, um, but treat each other with respect. And uh, I've got some dear friendships um, you know, with people like Joel and Victoria and um, a few others. That you know, these are my these are my friends first, and um, but we do get into fights yep. on the the battlefield of uh, on of the business on the yep. pitch. Sometimes we get a black eye, sometimes they get a black eye. It's okay, uh, but it is changing fast. So treat people with respect. Yeah, and I li I like that idea of being nice to people um, that you work with, even those that that maybe you manage because one day you could find yourself interviewing for a job uh, with them and, and actually you know that's really does happen in a in a market like this that's growing as fast as it does that that happens often um, and so I think that's a great lesson for people to, uh, to take away. Yeah. If, I, if I just think back to Joel and I don't pick out Joel because I know that that um, he's a mutual yeah, friend yeah, of ours friend. And, but I remember the way that Joel treated me when I joined he was a he was a more senior salesperson at Acuity but the amount of time he gave me to be successful and the effort he extra effort he put in something that I passed back when the person overtook from me in Dubai Dan Black and Dan Black is now passing that same philosophy on to one of his peers as we build up our Johannesburg office so it's not an obvious thing to create time to help other people but you know Joel is just one example of someone that I, I'll never forget that and is this an example of how to treat people yeah and I wonder if there's um there's an element of someone like you, someone like Joel and, and, and Victoria and the others that we talked about, um, who gets that intrinsically. Um, maybe it talks to those core values that you referred to earlier, but is it any surprise that those are the people that have consistently gravitated towards the top of, of the companies that they've worked in? Possibly. Um, yeah, possibly. Don't know. Everyone's got a different strategy, personal belief system, uh, that works for them. Um, I can only share what I think works for for me and some of the great uh, examples that I've had uh, in my career. That's an, uh, that would be something I'd be interested to know. So are there, are there people um, at Acuity and, and, and before that, that, are there key people that you can kind of point towards and say that these, these individuals had a really big impact on shaping my Yeah, sure, my I mean, People who've really helped me in my career, we all have them, right? Um, so the, the person who hired me at Initiate, Adam Hardman, um, definitely him bringing me on board. I'll, I'll never forget my first interview with him. He told me, <laughs> he told me I look sloppy. He told me to sit, he told me to sit, sit properly. He told me that my answers were poor. He gave, he, he gave me coaching in the first interview. Yeah. Um, but no, for sure, Adam, Adam definitely. Yeah, I would uh, agree with that, having worked for him also. Joel, uh, Joel was a great example to me. 
and um, Malcolm Taylor, who is the MD um, of Acuity, yep. uh, someone that I still keep in touch with regularly today. Um, Jeremy Bowen, uh, for sure, um, is one of the reasons why APAC was so successful. And um, who else has there been that sort of materially made a big difference? Uh, of course, Hugh Jones. Um, can't forget Hugh. Um, he's he's given me so many opportunities. Over yeah. and, and I love the culture here because we give people a chance. And I think that's, um, you might not have all the experience, but if you've got the will and you're able to swim and you're thrown in the deep end, uh, that's how you learn and grow. So Hugh's definitely uh, do you, do you think Hugh, Hugh has had a big impact on, on that culture permeating here? 100%. Okay, final question. Yeah? Sean Norris, if you could go back in time and sit across this table from an 18-year-old Sean Norris, what advice would you give him? What advice would I give Sean Norris when he was 18? That's a really hard question, Tom. Just coming back from your recruitment style. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> what would I give him? And, and I, I would, I would, I would say. That the the journey I've taken, I've had so much fun. It's so much fun. Um, I would be like, could I have sped up? Um, joining a company and accelerating that growth um, earlier, I probably would tell myself to chill out because even though those first years before I got my job at, at, at Acuity and Initiate, I was always haunted by the ghosts of leaving the tobacco industry. You know, so it wasn't always fun working in pubs, selling contracts. It, it wasn't always fun. And I always was haunted by what if. Um, and I think, I just tell myself, you know, Sean, for the next six, seven years, things are going to be a bit bumpy. Um, don't let those ghosts haunt you. And uh, something I take today, who knows what's going to happen to me in 10 years. Um, but wouldn't have given myself such a hard time in that little space between where, yeah. um, where uh, things changed. Because I was, I was haunted by, had I made the right decision for a long time. But I had so much fun in the process. Perfect. Good to chat. Tom, lovely to see you, sir.